It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a public affair. My name's Carousel Baird, and you've got me today. It's Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. Uh, and I will tell my engineering team I can't hear anything on my headphones, but I think we're on the air, so I'm going to keep going. Um, all right. I want to remind everyone you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We have a fabulous show lined up for everyone today. So we're doing a little back-to-school conversation. Usually we have this conversation in September, but... There's so much going on right now and so much happening that I really wanted to make sure we had this back to school conversation starting now. And schools have begun across the country. Not really too much here in Wisconsin because in Wisconsin we start in September. But a handful of schools have already started here. And I want to talk to everyone about school start time, particularly for middle and high school students. The time your school starts has a huge impact on the lives of your students. Their mental health, their physical health, their academic success. The studies are overwhelming. And yet still we see that I think it's more than 75% of school, middle schools and high schools across the country start earlier than the recommended 8.30 a.m. Just a difference between a 7.30 a.m. start and an 8.30 or 9 a.m. start has a huge difference. Here to talk to us about all of those studies and all things about early start times is Kari Oaks. Hello, Kari. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here. And I want to tell everyone about Kari. You're here based in Madison, and you've had quite an impact on the conversations in Madison Public School and ensuring that they um, shifted to a later start time, which have been implemented in just the last few years. Kari, you're trained as a physician's assistant, and you're um, a founding member and a current executive committee member of Start Schools Later, a national nonprofit that started in 2011, supporting the conversation and information to shift school start times for middle and high school students. And even beyond that is a conversation that uh, applies to college students and, and really everyone, such importance of having access uh, to later schools so that students can sleep in. Kari, can you tell me a little bit about um, Start Schools Later and what made you decide to to be part of the team that found that? Sure. I'm happy to talk a little more about my own story and about the, um, you know, kind of how I came to realize this was so important and then the opportunity I had to join a couple of really uh, terrific, empowering women who were getting this movement off the ground on a local and a national level. So I um, practiced as a PA, uh, both here in the Madison area and then for a while in the DC area with, um, pe- with people with traumatic brain injury and other trauma who were at Walter Reed coming back from conflict zones at the height of the Iran-Afghan conflict. And both when I was working with um, adolescents and young adults in primary care and ERs here, and then especially working with this group of, of injured young adults, I just really saw how crucial sleep was and how it was often a super overlooked component of health mm-hmm. really for everybody. Like it's really uh, as critical for just to flourish as a human being as healthy eating and exercise, but it's all too often overlooked and minimized. And we have a, a culture in this country that really minimizes the importance of rest, self-care and sleep. And, um, and teens teens need approximately eight to ten hours of sleep every night, and disproportionately, teens aren't getting that much sleep across this country. 
That is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. During this time when your body and brain are growing more than they have since your first few months of life, you need rest and sleep in order to let the cells do the work they have to do in order to let your brain consolidate that learning. And super importantly, the time that teens need to be doing that rest at shifts a little bit, not just in humans, but in other species. So the the, the issue with teens staying up later, and we, I'm sure we'll dive into this from a lot yes. of different angles later in the hour, but, but the key concept to just kind of pin and come back to is that teens go to sleep later naturally, wake up later naturally. And it's not just the phones. It's been happening for a long time. And it happens in non-human primates as well. Well, Kari, I, I actually want to cover that right off the top because sure. I think that's the pressing question. Okay, so we all agree sleep is important. Okay, so we all agree teens need 8 to 10 hours of sleep. Why is the concept of starting school later so important? What difference does it make if they start at 7 a.m. or 9 a.m.? You just need them to go to bed at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. instead of 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. Why is it not that simple? Right. So so this is kind of a let's do the math exercise. Okay. And, um so, and I'll use, I'll use my own family as an example. When we uh, moved out east so that my husband and I could work with the, uh, the folks who were injured coming back from the war, um, my daughter, when I looked up her school bus pickup time, she was entering ninth grade and it was 6.25 a.m. And I thought, oh, surely that's a typo, but no. School there started at 7.17 in the morning with which an urban environment and everything else, the bus took that long to get there. So for her to get on a bus at 625 meant she was getting up in the neighborhood of 530. And if you walk that back, you're right. You're looking at an eight o'clock or so bedtime for a high schooler. Um, but setting aside the problem of the circadian rhythm shift, circadian rhythm is when your body wants to fall asleep and get up. That happens with teenagers. It makes it really tough for them to get to sleep most of the time, much before about 11. Setting that aside, you also have after school activities and the whole snowball effect and homework. And, you know, we, we hear a lot about the pressure on middle and high schoolers with all of the things that they have to do, plus family obligations, plus you'd like to have dinner and have a little bit of downtime before they dive back into the homework. And the math just doesn't add up and what gets crunched is the sleep. And the downstream effect of that is you have teens going to school and trying to drive and function and take AP math on five or six hours of sleep well, night after night after night. And and Kari, you you actually skipped over the part that I that you know said you said setting aside the circadian rhythm. I yeah. actually think that talk to us about the science of that. I mean, sure. so it's saying even if you want. I mean, I think this is for me the driving force of why this isn't just a debate of preference, but actually a conclusive conversation about why this is essential. Because so teens, yes. teens cannot go to bed. If you put them to bed at 8 p.m., if you put them to bed at 9 p.m., if you put them to bed at 10 p.m., the studies show even on their best well-intentioned efforts, they sit there and they don't fall asleep. They literally, their body literally isn't ready to fall asleep. Can you talk to us about that? This is completely true. And the science, of, so when we say the science, we mean research ranging from looking at cells in a Petri dish all the way up to looking at what happens with other species to studying um, young adults and adolescents in a lab to looking at what actually happens in the real world. So we're not just talking about one study. We're talking about a whole body of evidence that very clearly shows that with adolescence, you know, and, and it starts even in kind of those tween years, bedtime, meaning the time a young person can actually fall asleep, shifts, conclusively shifts later for most teens most of the time. Everybody has that kid who occasionally will conk out at eight and sleep for 12 hours, but that probably means they were sleep deprived to begin with. <laughs> I have a, a quick anecdote that really shows how this is true in real life. I just got back from a week in the Boundary Waters canoeing with my husband and my 21-year-old son. We each, my husband and I had a tent, my son had a tent. 
no devices except for a low light Kindle, no cell phone service, no nothing. The mosquitoes descended at 8.15, 8.30. By 9, we were definitely in our tents. My husband and I were out cold before 10. My poor son would lie there and look up at the sky or read or whatever until 11 or 11.30 because he's still in this phase where he just, his body will not let him sleep despite daylight, a long day of canoeing, no devices. He was awake until 11. So it's a real thing. Then that and that's what really is driving this conversation of as even if we try and readjust our families and support kids and going to bed later or going to bed earlier, it's just not feasibly possible. So the result is that if kids, even if you have them in the dark asleep or in their bed at at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., which I think is more realistic and yeah. and yeah. what most people are suggesting, but kids really can't fall asleep until after 11 p.m. So if you have a start time that is before 8 or 9 a.m., they're waking up so early that they literally cannot get the 8 to 10 hours of recommended sleep. There is, and I'd like to tack on another point since you're doing such a great job of laying out the circadian rhythm issue. The other thing is that we're learning more and more that all sleep is not the same. Mm. And sleep has a lot of functions and it does different things for your body at different times of the night. And anybody who has a Fitbit or another, uh, you know, uh, activity tracking device and looks at their sleep, we'll see, like, for example, my Fitbit tells me when it thinks I'm in light sleep and deep sleep and REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, which is when we dream. And so a lot of, there are different functions that are served by different phases of sleep. And a lot of the most important sleep for consolidating memories, for kind of really packing all that learning and growth that's happening in the adolescent brain, packing it in and getting it stored in a good way, and just for general brain and emotional health, happens in those early morning hours Mm. for teenagers. And so, you know, some of our advocates like to say, and some of the sleep scientists say, that if you get a teen up at six in the morning, it's like dragging yourself out of bed at 3 a.m. for that early flight. And we all know how terrible we feel that whole day and maybe for a day or two afterward. So they're living in permanent jet lag when we do this to them. Wait, that, that just slightly blew my mind because yeah. when I have to wake up at 3 or 4 a.m., and I'm a morning person, 6 a.m. I send out two dozen emails. I read my New York Times. I mm-hmm. hang out with my dog. I love 6 a.m. That That is heaven for me but but 4 a.m and i'm a walking zombie and is is that true that really waking kids up at a 6 30 kind of time can be equivalent to the the waking up in the middle of the night for for that ungodly hour airplane flight absolutely you know a good way to think about it is that teenagers are sort of forced to live a couple of time zones away from where they should be hmm. when when you're imposing these schedules on them. And then you think about some of the downstream effects, like if you were going to get up at four in the morning and go and wait after you're through security at the airport, you might be reading the New York Times, but are you retaining that information the same way you would be <laughs> right. if you were having it over your morning coffee on your kitchen table? Correct. Correct. And I want to, you know, Kari, you and you and I are having this fabulous conversation, and I want to let everyone know that you know not only is this you know the expertise that you can learn when you go to the Start Schools Later website, but this is uniformly endorsed by pretty much every organization out there that that could: the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, the American Psychology Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the National Association of School Nurses, the Society of Pediatric Nurses, the National Parent Teacher Association, the United States Surgeon General, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, All of them, all of them recommend that middle and high school classes do not start earlier than 8.30 a.m. And then, of course, there's lists that go on and on and on of every state health agency, right, in Wisconsin and states across the country. You know, health agencies, athletic agencies, academic agencies, pediatric agencies, they uniformly say this has such a huge impact. So is is it as... when I was preparing for the show, Kari, right, you've been 
thinking about this for, you know, decades and i've been thinking about this right for a half a week uh it just but everything just overwhelmingly there's nothing that pushes pushes back and says well yeah it could be this it's just so solid that later start times and make such a difference in children's lives is this would you agree it it is absolutely true and you did a great job of rolling out that litany of organizations that examined the evidence and got together and in consensus said this is the best thing you know is there anything magical about 830 versus 825 no but as with all policy you you kind of have to pick a thing and stick with it and this is what we do now one of the things that can be confusing is that moving school start times and and hence getting getting adolescents more sleep at the right time for their body and brains and social and emotional health. That's the right thing to do. Does it fix everything? No, it doesn't. Life is complicated. Yeah. And so, and so when you move the start times is everyone instantly going to get, you know, that six point leap in their ACT scores? No, they are not. (laughs) Will school climate improve? Will there be fewer fights? Will you see fewer car crashes community wide? Yes. Well, Does more sleep help with with things like depression and anxiety? Yes. It's like the secret sauce that makes everything else a little bit better. Cara, so, let, let's break down all those factors. Sort of thanks for, you oh. know, prompting the, ne- the next conversation. So let's look at that. First, let's talk about the academic benefits. And sure. not that I think academics is more important than physical health or mental health. Um, sure. But we'll just start with this list because we're talking about schools. When school start times move to 8.30-ish to 9-ish. What are the, some of the benefits that you said, that you see? Well, so this is a really good point. And, and over the years of seeing the evidence evolve on this, and actually one of the earliest, most critical studies that looked at this was in Edina, Minnesota, where it was a high, you know, kind of a high achieving public school. They were very focused on test scores. They saw a leap. And so that kind of became what people hung their hat on. As time has gone on, and as we've maybe applied a better equity lens to some of these issues, we really talk about school success. Yeah. And so, and so this is that, that getting somebody out the door letting a kid get out the door at a time that works for them so they don't miss the bus. Maybe then they have to stay home the whole day and they have another tardy or absence day that they really can't afford and that their family can't afford to have on their record. They get to school, they're better able to pay attention. They're less irritable. Um, you know, all of those executive functioning things. Again, I go back to that 3 a.m. brain fog. Yes. If you don't have that, you like you don't forget your notebook at home. And so, um, and so academic markers improve, graduation rates improve, attendance improves. And so it's sort of a top to bottom, um, left to right, you know, whatever, through whatever axis you look at it, it stand, this, this change stands to globally improve school climate and school success. All of these. Fantastic. Okay. Now I want to talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the impact it has on depression, uh, you know, AODA abuse, uh, just also relationships and problem solving and be able to have constructive relationships with your peers, your students, your, your peers, your teachers, your family, all of that. I mean, absolutely. And I think you just laid out kind of the framework for all of the ways that there's a, you know, a bi-directional relationship between sleep and mental health. We know this. We know that when you don't sleep well, you don't feel good in any part of your body, brain, or soul. And we know that people who have anxiety and depression or who might have substance use issues also have disrupted sleep. And so I think sleep is sometimes, an, as, a, as a formerly practicing clinician, I think sleep is sometimes an under-recognized tool mm-hmm. to help people feel a little bit better and maybe initiate treatment, maybe mend relationships, whatever. But in, in the school setting and for teenagers, we know that we have a really worrisome epidemic of, of these things, of anxiety, of depression, of substance use issues. And by 
improving sleep and the time at which students sleep, we are giving them their best opportunity to use the tools that they have available, use the relationships that they have, avoid getting into those tight spots that give them so much anxiety and help them. And, and the data bear this out, that, that with more sleep, teenagers have less anxiety, less depression, fewer suicidal thoughts, and have, and sleep deprivation is strongly linked with an increased risk of um, substance use and also other risky behaviors. You know, we can talk about also drowsy and distracted driving is a big, big thing. Absolutely. But I mean, Kari, this is just so important. I mean, as we're talking about it right now, I'm thinking about how many conversations we've had on this show uh, and that have been happening nationally, globally, about the impact of the pandemic on youth mental health and how important it is that we prioritize and honor the tools that we have to support our youth facing mental health. And I know I've talked a little bit on the show about I have I have a teenager who has dealt with mental health uh, challenges and part of her she has sometimes she doesn't have good coping skills something happens and she just feels automatically overwhelmed and she goes deep into this you know dark hole of pit of despair uh you know and the idea of being well rested and not being hungry these are part of her therapy conversations of let's give yourself all the tools that you can have so that when you are faced with a challenge you figure out how to cope with this i mean this is just sort of basic common sense, but we forget about it. The basic needs of having enough sleep so that you're in a state where you can solve problems when they come before you. Absolutely. You know, we all in our own lives, and if we have raised, you know, young humans, we've seen this catastrophizing that can happen. And I think you're absolutely right. A lot of it comes from not using the tools you have in front of you. And again, that goes back to the the way sleep deprivation gets in the way of executive function mm -hmm. having having the front part of your brain that's still developing a lot in this age group having the front part of your brain just kind of put the reins on some of that spiraling uh, those are tools that that we all you know could stand to do stand to learn and really get good at but it's really challenging in our climate um for a lot of adolescents i think and this 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 intervention that's done kind of at the public health level instead of the family by family level can just make everything a little bit easier for those families that are trying to do the very best for their young people. We're talking right now with Kari Oaks. She is one of the founding members and an executive committee member of Start School Leaders. We're talking about the push nationally to have our middle and high schools start at 830 or later. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. What's your experience with um, middle and high school start times and perhaps other schools, school age issues as well? Your experience with your children, with yourself, any questions that you have, we'd love to have you join the conversation in area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. We have all our staff here ready for you. Mary Jo is answering the phones. Hooray, Mary. Thank you so much for being here, Mary Jo. Uh, we have Megan in the studio. We've got Rochelle in the studio. So we are ready at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Kari, let's, let's keep going with our, our list. So we talked about the academic benefits. We talked about the mental health benefits. Let's talk about the physical health benefits. This has an impa impact in um, healthy eating and healthy bodies, obesity and heart disease. Yeah, you know, it's, it's um, somewhere between eye-opening and frightening <laughs> to see the body of scientific literature that's coming out building on on the importance of healthy sleep for kind of your like cardiac and metabolic function um so for example this this was not a study in children or teenagers but recently they just had a study well done in my opinion that uh compared people that restricted sleep in people and then let them have as much sleep as they wanted and then the, the other half of this two-arm study, they had the people be get as much sleep as they wanted and then restrict their sleep to like five hours a night. Almost instantly, 
no matter which group, no matter how they started out, enough sleep, not enough sleep, as soon as they were in the state where they were sleep deprived, they instantly started eating an extra 250 calories a day hmm. for no good reason. You know, that's that's a half a pound a week, I think, vaguely. That's that's, you know, that's a serious, serious, serious issue. And it shows that that our appetite is really regulated by a lot of things and sleep deprivation makes people eat more calories than their body needs to keep going. And also um, other studies have shown that people tend to make poorer food choices when they're sleep deprived, mm. are more likely to choose junk food, high fat food, not the nourishing foundational food we should be eating. You've hinted a little bit uh, about uh, safety and uh, lower teen uh, driving uh, casualties, lower crime rates. Talk to us about what what the studies have shown on that. Well, so one of the one of the interesting things is, and these are ki- kind of hard data to get at sometimes, but just from a really practical level, getting back to the implementation issues, one of the things that happens when you start school at seven in the morning is that kids are out of school by one thirty or two in the afternoon with long afternoons of unsupervised time. And so from just walking backward from a really practical level, when school gets out at 3.30 or 4, police departments in local you know, districts that have made this change are often really pleased to see how much less sort of um, truancy and just like, you know, just sort of like this getting into trouble that can go downhill in a hurry happens among teens. Uh, But getting back to the sleep issue, teens who are sleep deprived are more likely to have poor judgment. And we know that reaction time is poorly affected adversely with, with insufficient sleep and everybody, especially teens. And in communities where schools have changed start times to a later, more appropriate hour, car crashes go down significantly, not just for the teens, but for the entire community. There's a study in suburban Virginia that found this, a study in Colorado that found this, both with reputable researchers. It's clearly true. I mean, and this factors into, once you start with the foundation of understanding that teens uh, cannot fall asleep easily before 11 p.m., all of a sudden that just, highlights everything oh they really are sleep deprived obviously you can't be the best driver that we need you to be and a new driver at that when you're sleep deprived yeah yeah we do have a call coming in george is on the line george thanks so much for joining us you want to talk about the historical influences of sleep times oh yeah great show thanks for having me on uh yeah wondering how the whole you know how farming has influenced uh the school schedule with getting summers off and wondering how that might play in to the equation. And also, uh, you know, corporations, they probably don't want their workers coming to work late because they have to drop their kid off late. And they're wondering how that might factor in also. Thank you. Yeah. Good questions, George. Kari, what do you think of this? So those are two really great and perspective and, and, uh, uh, perceptive, uh, points of view on this issue. You know, the interesting thing about farming, um, my husband grew up on a farm in rural Minnesota, and he did get up early to do chores on this hobby farm. But did he go back to bed for that half hour in between when his chores were done and when he had to really get up for school? Yes, he did. Hmm. <laughs> and so I think communities handle farming and in a lot of different ways. Um, I did a couple of years of high school at a high school in Sauk County, where, for example, we had a free hot breakfast for everybody because there were kids who didn't have time to have breakfast before they came to school. And so communities adjust differently. Rural communities sometimes have longer bus routes that they have to think about. Um, And so there are a lot of ways to skin this cat and a lot of ways a flexible first period, for example, is something that lets some farming communities now have their teens still participate in farm activities um, and come in when it works for them. So there's a lot of ways to address that. Yeah. Historically, though, it's it's difficult to find these records. Our two 
founding uh, members who I really have to give a shout out to, Tara Zaporin-Snyder and Maribel Ibrahim, who's our, our CEO and operations director, respectively. Um, when they founded Start School Later in 2011, Tara had already done a bunch of research on this issue, and we've continued over the last dozen years or so. As best we can determine, in most communities, until about the 60s and 70s, school started around nine o'clock for high schoolers and often elementary middle and high schools all started maybe 8 30 maybe 9 maybe 9 15 and went to about three and then a, a host of factors started messing with this some of it was just um logistics of bus transportation once people figured out that they could run three different bus routes and sort of triple cycle the same drivers and routes they started doing that. Mm -hmm. And so, and so a lot of it is, is, is uh, logistics that have nothing to do with student or maybe even family well-being um, that have shifted school start times to these earlier times that now we kind of feel stuck in. Um, getting kids off to school, please go ahead. No, 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 keep going, Gary. Getting school off, getting kids off to school in the morning. You know, George, that's a really interesting and complicated issue because having worked in healthcare and having a lot of family members who work in healthcare, like for every family where there's, you're right, there might be a corporation that's like, we need you at your desk, you know, plugged into your call center at eight o'clock. But for every family like that, there's a firefighter or a nurse or somebody working in retail who, where, where that schedule really doesn't work for them. And so the country doesn't run less now after the pandemic on an eight to five or a nine to five schedule but we still run our school hours as though everybody has a nine to five job. Interesting. And it's never going to work for everybody. You're, you're always going to have logistical problems for someone. Well, and I want to, I want to touch base, Kari, on a little bit of the history that you talked about. So right. The research that I was doing, the history of start times, you know, it, it was, it used to be, as you said, 8 AMs and 9 AMs, and it seemed to start changing in the 1970s, when there were budget cuts was starting the conversation. Talk to us about that. And really, I mean, the bus logistics, let me tell you, my husband, I just, I get to know, right? We all get to know little anecdotal things sometimes in our life. My husband yeah. works for Madison Metro. So I know all about bus start times and access to bus and the shortage of bus drivers and the shortage of bus routes and when that happens, you go, okay, I've got one bus driver and he's going to drive one route at 7 a.m., okay, all middle, all elementary school kids get there at 7 a.m. Then the next, he'll drop them off, and that's okay. I don't need another employee because I still have this one bus driver who will drive the next route of people that have to get somewhere by 8, and then the next route of people that have to get somewhere by 9. And, of course, that saves money because you only have to hire one employee, and now you're only using one bus. But it also seems to be a response when we don't have enough workers and I totally, of course, budgetary, that makes sense. And that was the history of what got us here or what started us here in the 1970s. But it's just not the right decision for our kids. Absolutely. And, and you know, if you have this, if you have someone in your family who understands transportation logistics, you know, <laughs> like these are not yes. easy problems. Like there no. are, you know, mathematicians and statisticians who, you know, are still making very nice careers trying to solve transportation <laughs> problems, which are which are not easy. But but I have, you know, I have a couple of things to say. One is that when we first started juggling around schedules and like splitting up elementary, middle and high school students or running three rounds of buses or whatever, we didn't really understand a how important sleep was and b about this adolescent circadian rhythm shift. And so it's that, you know, the, the old adage that, you know, that, that when you know better, you can do better. And so now we know that we need to put that at the top of the priority list and make other things work around it. Yeah. But we, you know, you can get a paucity mentality when you think there just aren't enough resources. And, and that can stall you in your decision making as a community on this issue. It's important to prioritize health and well-being, just like you would not say we're going to cut school lunches, you should not say we're going to make kids live this awful schedule. 
I want to remind everyone, you are listening to WRT 89.9 FM Madison. We are talking right now with Kari Oaks. She is one of the founding members of Schools Start Start Schools Later. There you uh, go. There, oh, and get those words in the right order. Start Schools <laughs> it's Later. It's all the right words. Though. Yes, yeah. exactly. A national nonprofit um, organized, uh, started in 2011. She was one of the founding team members and currently on the executive committee looking at the importance of school start times. Um, Kari, I want to talk about, um, oh, I want to remind everyone, we want to hear from you, area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, Kari, one of the things that uh, I I know you hear from people, and when I was talking about this show with others uh, and posting it on social media, I heard a lot of pushback on when you start later, schools get out later, and all of a sudden kids are coming home. So my daughter, who's 13, is in uh, going into eighth grade at one of the Madison Public Middle Schools, and she starts at 9 a.m., and she gets done at 4.17, gets home because of the bus route around 5 p.m. And the comment is, there's not enough time to do anything. You basically have to do your homework, eat dinner, and go to bed. What's the response to that? So, you know, I think the first thing to say, and we chatted about this a little bit before the show, yeah. is really to respect the challenges that the society and some decisions that we've made as a nation and in our communities, some, some of the difficulties that families are facing. And you cannot sweep logistical problems, wanting to prioritize family activities, wanting your kids to have some after-school activities, having enough time for homework. You can't sweep all that under the rug and pretend it isn't an issue. But, and at the same time, you can't just throw up your hands. So, so for example, the high school my son went to in the Madison area uh, had a relatively long school day, started at 825, finished at 315, with block scheduling, one of the things they did, and I'm going to get into the nitty gritty a little bit, because it's a good illustration of creative problem solving. Okay. One of the things that they did is they had a block of time, I think it was every other day during the day, when students could do their club activities, they had some clubs that met during the school day, they had um, time to go and do makeup tests, they could work on homework, they could go and meet with teachers. And, you know, some orchestra and band practice happened during that time, too. Teachers have time for prep during that if they're not engaging with students. And so by slightly lengthening the school day, um, it, and also by judiciously not eating up that whole time before school, but occasionally having a student be able to go in and meet with a teacher before school or get caught up on a quiz or whatever, by lengthening the school day, that was a, a logistical way to address this so that by the time the kid and the teacher walk out of the school basically at the same time together, they have some of that busy work done already hmm. and some of the activities done. So this is an example of creative problem solving that can help take some of the pressure off families. I appreciate you you know, acknowledging, right? The world that we live in is not kind and uh, America is not a country that is known for being supportive of families and being support of parents trying to juggle the logistics of uh, going to work, supporting their, you know, families, supporting themselves, supporting their careers, all of those pieces, really complicated logistics. And I, I like that your answer is, you know, this is a real problem and it takes this, is, this isn't something that you just snap your fingers and address. Nevertheless, this is an important part of the solution, and we need to work around it to solve it. Do you, yeah, yeah. Do you see well, school boards willing to step up and take that sort of acknowledgement that this is a, a piece of a solution, but it has to have some comprehensive understanding of the complexities of the American life we live? You know, that, that's a, a great framing for it. And I think the answer is highly variable. Mm. We have some really amazing examples. For example, the Seattle School District changed school start times, gosh, maybe almost 10 years ago, think, six or over 10 years ago. Yeah. I think it was 2016. I have that in my yeah. notes. The Seattle yeah, Public Schools delayed the start time. They, they passed a rule. And we're, we're going to talk about that because California just passed a law right. requiring all their schools. So in order for this to be a success, like Seattle did, 
did surveys, did informational videos, reached out to before and after school childcare providers. You want to talk to the people in your community who are providing that before and after school buffer and resources for families. Um, and, and the extent to which administrators and boards of education want to do that forward thinking and that engagement can really um, affect how hard this is on families and its eventual success. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also worth knowing that when everything comes around and and we are able to, you know, solve this together, people that think about extracurricular activities and athletics and things like that, the studies also show that kids that aren't sleep deprived do better in athletics, do better in band class, do better in their piano lessons, do better in their ballet class. All of these things that are their extracurricular, they're happier, they're you know, more successful, that they're just, they're better at it. They can focus more. They can learn more because they're not sleep deprived. You know, it's absolutely true. And anecdotally, sort of all of us have heard from kids that they can get, they can get, you know, done in two hours, what would have taken three and a half or four homework wise, if they're well rested and well fed and can concentrate, you know, the optimal scenario is that you're able to be more efficient in your learning. And, you know, the other thing I want to quickly point out is yeah, that yeah. sort of um, the overtrain, you know, overscheduling is, is a related but different conversation, but overtraining for children and adolescents who are in athletics is a real problem. And it, it this provides an opportunity for communities and schools and coaches to really examine how to have quality practice time without really putting their students at risk for overuse injuries with mm-hmm. too long and too frequent practices. Yeah, I mean, to see the studies that say there are actually less less injuries uh, right. in sc- school athletics, in schools when they have a later start time, less student injuries. It's just the numbers are bear it out. It's really, really uh, important to, to look at that as well. Um, Kari, one of the things we haven't talked about, you've sort of hinted at the uh, edges a little bit, is the, of course, socioeconomic factor in this. That not only this raises it for everyone, but students that see the most benefit are the students that society has given the most challenges to because of institutional racism, because of uh, socioeconomic challenges that low-income communities see which disproportionately in America are communities of color because of our institutional racism. And so how does that play a part in all of this? Yeah, this is really a good point. And it's really an example of where careful and sensitive communication with all of the communities that are in your metropolitan area in your school district is really important. Um, You know, I talked about this scenario of which, which when I lived in the DC area, you know, we actually saw play out frequently that the PTA was sort of on call to give rides to to teenagers who had missed the bus because of oversleeping and either didn't have a parent at home because that parent was working, the family might not have, a, you know, an operable vehicle or the vehicle might be at work. And so, once you miss the bus, you're just out of luck otherwise. So that's a very nitty gritty example of how sort of like a last mile problem where this too early start time really adversely affects low resource families. Um, It it also folds back into this idea that that with more rest, you're going to be more um, more able to engage and sort of do all of that negotiation that we know is much harder for people of color in our societies with with our, you know, it's, it's an unfair burden, but it's a true burden that just getting through a school day is harder in some communities for people of color. Um, and, and then also just the, the leveling factor of if everybody starts at the same time, and everybody ends at the same time and everybody has more chance to get enough sleep, it it just levels the playing field a little bit. 
Kari, I want to talk to you about what's happening across the nation. We talked a, a minute about Seattle. I want to talk to you. Uh, tell us about California. They are the first state in the nation. They passed a law to require middle and high schools to delay their school start times. Yeah, this is extremely exciting and important uh, legislation that Start School Later actually um, sponsored. We worked with local advocates there really hard and with local legislators and a really progressive educational community to get this legislation passed that that in general, with some exceptions for rural schools, um, is having high schools, high schoolers start at 8.30 and in general, middle schoolers, I believe, starting at eight, which is sort of the general CDC and AAP recommendations. Um, this legislation sets the ground floor for what we think is necessary for the emotional and social and physical health of adolescents who are attending public schools in the same way that school lunch programs have rules that don't let you serve lunch at 930 because otherwise, you know, some district would try to do it. Right. <laughs> and so this, this legislation leaves the how up to local districts. It does not take away local control for people finding the right solutions for their communities, but it does give, it sets guardrails that lets administrators and school districts and parents and communities operate schools at healthy hours. So it helps people do the right thing. Kari, what what can people do that are listening right now? Um, Madison Public Schools are starting uh, in just a couple of weeks, there seem to be, I went on their website, disproportionately um, their schools are later start times from middle and high school, but there's about five middle schools in Madison public schools that are left that have a 730 start time. I know there are middle schools and high schools beyond Madison public schools that are also public schools in Dane County that have later start times. What do you recommend that families um, that are listening to you uh, do? Yeah, this is a great question. And, and and regarding the early start times that are left for middle schools, I I know that the Madison Metropolitan School District it did the right thing in the sense that they didn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yep. They did what they could with what they had. Yep. And so if your student is at one of those very early schools too, and you, and you see how it's not working for you, you can begin the conversation with P at PTA meetings with your principal and vice principal with your school board member about what would be required to get everybody on the better schedule. Um, if you're, you know, their local advocacy takes time and it's hard, but it works <laughs> in the end. One, you know, some of the very early things you can do would be to just start reading up on the issue of children, teens, and sleep. There's so much good information out there. And once you really understand and internalize that information, you can employ what you can in your daily life. We can talk some more about that. And also you can really feel empowered to say confidently and with authority, we have to make this change. It's the right thing to do. Well, and I appreciate the, the shout out um, and appreciation for Madison schools as well. I mean, my daughter, so I, I have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. And my 16-year-old, when she was in middle school, her middle school started at, I think, 7.30 in the morning. That same middle school now starts at 9 a.m. So there absolutely have been uh, intentional efforts to move it forward. And I'm hoping to see this further throughout Wisconsin, are you, where else have you, what have you seen in response to what California is doing? Well, so um, the Today Show, for example, did a complete five minute segment, which is a long segment about this issue in California today. So, um, Everyone you know, can go check it out. You sent me the link. It, it was yeah. a, it's a it's a quick watch, and it was good to sort of get the they they talk to students about they, you know the changes yeah. for them. Yep, they talk to students. I think California is leading the way. You know, California is often seen as a 
a, a it's a, a large, wealthy, powerful, and progressive state that often leads the way with initiatives, for example, carbon emissions and vehicles. There are a lot of public health initiatives that California has brought forward and has proven success in areas where people had said it couldn't be done. And you know, our, our hope and, and really our expectation is that there that that's what will happen given inevitable bumps in the road, that we're going to see this effort kind of writ large for the first time. And I'm really excited about that. And you mentioned to us a few of the resources. People can, of course, look up uh, Start Schools later, but some of the other websites that you recommend are sleep101.info and letssleep.org. What can people yeah. find? Yeah. So, so our nonprofit is startschoollater.net, and that's where that's kind of your one-stop shop for advocacy and information. Sleep101.info and particularly Let's sleep.org. Those are two sleep health education programs targeted to middle and high schoolers. And Let's Sleep is also uh, targeted to teachers, administrators, and parents. Gives you a ton of curated and, uh, and resources that we produced about evidence-based sleep health education to give you the tools you need to optimize your child's or your own sleep, kind of no matter where you're at or where you're coming from. And Kari, when, when I looked at all the resources that you that you shared with us, um, I found a 2014 study that said 93 percent of high schools and 83 percent of middle schools in the U.S. started before 830 a.m. Now, that was 2014. It is now 2022. Are those numbers better? We know anecdotally that they are better, okay. but there's actually no federal mandate for collection of these data. And so we don't actually know and we certainly don't have the resources to do this polling we know anecdotally that things are better and high schools and middle schools change times at all times for all reasons i think the california legislation getting five minutes of prime time on the today show coming from where we were as a group of women sitting around a kitchen table in 2011 tells us that people are starting to pay attention to this issue well and, yeah. have, and, and having an hour on your show you know? Hey, I mean, this is a really important conversation. And I remember having this conversation when it was up for, you know, vote and conversation at the Madison Metropolitan School District and the school board. And I hope that we can continue this when we see it as a conversation at other school boards. You know, that's, Absolutely. That's Absolutely. You know, I think Madison leads the way in a lot of things. And I think this is... Um, just having this this awareness raising and having this chat it just it, at this time of year is terrific. Well, Kari, it's been so fantastic talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us, for sharing all your wisdom. Thank you for being so committed to this for so long. It's really wonderful to have you join us today. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. And um, I'll look for the next steps. Absolutely. Car that was Kari Oaks with Start Schools Later. And I want to give a huge thank you to Megan, our engineer, Rochelle for producing, Mary Jo for manning the phones, Shali, our news director. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you again next week. Again, you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Straight from the base, deep down, low precision. High crime trees, and we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning.